Hello and happy Tuesday, my friends. This is Danielle Carter, and I'd like to welcome you back to another informative episode of Cisco Champion Radio, where we provide insights and visibility into products and solutions across the Cisco portfolio and trending topics across our industry. If you like our podcast, please follow us and feel free to share your favorite episodes with your colleagues and friends. If you have thoughts or comments on what we should cover in a future episode, let us know. Talk with us on Twitter at Cisco Champion. I do have a special announcement. The Cisco Champion 2024 application is now open. If you or someone you know is interested in the program and would like to join, click the application provided in the show notes below. All right. Today, we are talking about safeguarding operations by exploring the challenges and solutions for industrial security. In this episode, we will explore the evolving threat landscape, discuss the potential consequences of industrial cyber attacks, and shed light on the vulnerabilities that commonly exist within industrial control systems. So let's get started with introductions. Jonathan, how are you? What do you do? Hey, Daniel. Pleasure to be here yet uh, again see you on, on the team. Um, so my name is Jonathan Hadi. I work in the mining sector uh, as a principal network engineer, um, generally doing standards and governance and technical stewardship and guiding the business through network architecture for OT. My passion is operational technology and I have a real flair for wireless. Yay. Well, thank you for joining us today. Liam, can you tell us who you are and what it is that you do? Hi, Danielle. Uh, my name is Liam Keegan. I'm the Chief Technical Officer for 24-7 Networks Rio Bravo. Uh, we're a Cisco partner, and we do a lot with our OT customers uh, in, in, in the OT space, helping secure uh, OT manufacturing floors. I mean, just any kind of any sort of thing where there's some weird sensor that needs to plug in the network, we, 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 we help connect and secure that. So this is like right up, right up, my, uh, right up our alley here. So thanks for having me today. Of course, thank you for joining us. Last from our champions, Mark, tell us a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do. Hey, my name is Mark Lüscher. I'm working for AWS as a senior solution architect. Senior solution architects, we help customer design solutions. My specialty is security, everything in and out of on-prem and the cloud. And uh, a work area I'm very passionate about is the OT security space. So I'm happy to be here today. Well, we are very, very happy to have you. Andrew, thank you for being our guest on today's episode. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do at Cisco? My name is Andrew McPhee. I'm a solution manager or architect uh, in our IoT business unit. Uh, I work on the Cisco Validated Designs and, and what that team does is we take our, our products and our solutions and, and we install it in the lab and validate uh, its workings before putting it out in the, into the field and you know making our customers be the, the guinea pigs for it. Uh, we make sure it all works before, before they go and use it. Um, I also work in the CPWE team, so our kind of partnership with Panduit and Rockwell uh, for that um, kind of industry focus on how to secure industrial networks. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We really, really appreciate it. I'll now kick it off to the champions to begin the conversation. Thanks, Dale. Um, so, Andrew, it's a pleasure to have you here. Um, and, you know, operation technology is a, it's a bit of a, I guess, a gray area for some people. They may not fully understand it. And for each of us who are on this call, it may be different as well. Um, 
from my side, when I look at it, it's kind of like related to production safety systems. Um, can you give us a view on what operation technology is uh, within your field and how that kind of relates to the security topic we're going to talk about today? For sure. And, and I'm quite fortunate that uh, my role spans many different industrial verticals and, you know, OT, it is a kind of broad term. And I like to think of it as the, the technology that, that makes the world run and work. So manufacturing is always the, the one we default to, you know, you might have uh, water bottling plants where you take a liquid and it ends up bottled and packaged and in a truck sent to a store. But you also have things like railways and wind farms and substations, and it's a lot of different um, industries, a lot of different verticals, which the architectures are, are different and we need you know, to treat them differently. But the, uh, the security is almost the same. The criticality of that security is almost the same. Um, in, the, in the IT world, we have that CIA triangle, the confidentiality, integrity, availability. Uh, we tend to flip it in the OT world and availability is always the very first thing we do. How do we make sure that the uh, network is always running? Uptime is the most important thing. And even a few minutes of downtime can cause uh, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in, in loss. So important we keep these things uh, up and running. Thanks, Andrew. That's very concise. So a question for you. Um, if you look a little bit at the OT space, uh, I think it does not receive the attention it really deserves. Do you have any idea of why this is currently? Yeah, I think there's a couple of different reasons. Um, one of them is they tend to be treated as these kind of legacy monolithic systems that no one can really do anything about. Um, for, for a long time, there's been this sort of divide between a, an IT team and an OT team, and they're almost two different companies within the same organization. And the IT team has the, the skills to, to update and maintain and uh, constantly kind of update the security posture of their networks, but they weren't responsible for any of the, the OT network. And the IT team were almost viewed as a kind of pain point for the OT team. If IT came in to do some work, OT's like, you're not touching my network. You're gonna put you're gonna bring it down. You're gonna give me issues. Just don't touch it. So there's always been that divide of responsibility. But I do think there is more attention coming into the OT space. And the most successful deployments is when IT and OT have that good relationship. They do they, you know, recognize that there's a need for it. If we start to look what's happening in the US with the whole um, national um, infrastructure protection plan, like, you know, critical infrastructure is the number one thing that uh, needs to be recognized and a lot of funding going into how do we do it. But for a long, long time, it's just the OT is just a separate part of my network that I'm putting a firewall in there, protect my IT from the OT, not the other way around. Like the OT is the really important part of your network. And a lot of times when you're in that space, you're thinking, how do I protect the OT network? But up until let's say a few years ago, it was the IT teams viewed it differently. The OT is polluting my IT and I'm trying to protect it from the OT. So um, I think that's that's the main reason why it's just a, the divide and responsibility between a team. Like I have a mechatronic engineering background. When I, when I went to university, I was, supposed to be an automation engineer. I was supposed to be actually doing the real engineering of this work. And I just found myself in Cisco. Um, I didn't do a single networking course during that time. I became a mechatronic engineer. There was, there was nothing. I didn't need to know anything about it. So the personnel in there just, they're not aware of the attention that it's actually required from IT. Uh, and until those two worlds really started to merge, it was just left to do its own thing. 
Well, and I also think that that what people may not understand is in these manufacturing plants or oil and gas or wherever there's this industrial footprint that this is not, you know, they, they have these sensors and the controllers and whatnot that are not running on, you know, Windows 11. This is stuff, I mean, you know, where you have stuff that is legitimately, you know, Windows 95, Windows XP, you know, Linux 2.0, I mean, just stuff that is is decades old that plays these critical functions as far as, or the, the, the provides these critical functions as far as whether it's safety or availability or, or, or whatnot. And, and, you know, like, like we, we went into a plant once and it was like, truly there was the compact, not, not like, like, like an H or like a, a, a compact desktop PC from who knows, 1996 or something like that, that was under a table. That's like, don't touch this because Bob wrote this and he retired seven years ago. And so we can't fix it. It's like the, the, the IT, you know, like IT gets a hold of that. And they're like, oh my God, just turn it off. It's like, no, 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 there's millions of dollars on the line. So I think that that's what is, is, is really different about these OT networks is that you, the attack surface is just so broad compared to what you're, what you're seeing in, in, in the IT side and, and kind of what's your sort of, I don't know, how do you look at that holistically and, and how do you, how do you, talk to organizations about what they can do to kind of mitigate mitigate risk there. Yeah, that, that's why visibility is kind of almost the first thing we always talk about is, okay, we know we can't do anything about it. We know we can't change it, but at least let us see what is there because there will be vulnerabilities that exist on these devices. And, and to your point, sometimes we just can't get rid of them. Another example is actually with uh, uh, the DCOM protocol itself. Uh, Microsoft, we're gonna put out an update uh, on the DCOM protocol and they have to push it out because what they realize is if we automatically update all of this, all of the applications OT space are going to break because they're going to update it to do uh, authentication. I think by default, probably going to butcher this explanation, but basically once uh, you would, you can just authenticate without any sort of authentication mechanism. So there was no need to authenticate to use the DCOM protocol. The moment, the moment they'd done it, uh, authentication by default, everything that wasn't actually authenticating was going to break. So. You just need to know that these things exist. You need to know that the vulnerabilities exist. And then can you do anything outside of the system in order to protect it? So there's always the buzzword floating around the zero trust. How do we do zero trust in, in the OT network? Um, it gets down to that conversation of zones of trust. Is Can I treat the operational network not as one large network, but by a, a series of smaller zones of trust? and then start to just protect my zones rather than protect individual devices. So yes, there's an old legacy Windows XP system in there, and it's speaking with two PLCs and 10 IOs, and it's you know part of my production line. But let me just protect that part of the production line as one single unit and make sure it can't affect the next part or the parallel production reliant running beside it or the industrial data center running you know, 100 meters away from that. Um, and you just have these smaller trust zones that you're, you're trying to isolate in case something does go wrong. Andrew, let's unpack that a little bit, right? So you've talked about, briefly touched on a zero trust model, right? Which would, people in the IT land will know quite a lot of it, right? But in an OT space, this concept is relatively new, I would say, for certain industries. Um, and we have to get there, right? You can't just jump from nothing to something, right? Like at that level, that's quite that's quite a big model to take on. Um, what's the steps there? Like, and I'm just going to kind of lead you into this. So, you know, can we do something like macro segregation where we use, you know, a well-known network architecture, you know, VRFs and, and having an aggregation point to be able to manage those fault domains? Is that the right step forward before you move into something like zero trust? 
and then what, what kind of tools can we look at as well uh, to help that journey along? Yeah, for sure. So I actually really like the the standard via IEC 62443. Uh, they recommend the zones and conduits model uh, where you define, again, different zones of trust. I don't think they use the term trust, but it's essentially a trust zone. And they would say, identify all of your assets within a zone. And a zone can be a logical group of devices or it can be a physical group. So you could like, you know, basically say, this is one physical part of my plant and I want to stop from speaking to another physical part of my plant. But they're not treating zero trust down to the, the access port level. I don't have to have a zero trust policy for every device in my network. I need a zero trust policy for the zone of devices. And they, a lot of our customers are, are architecting towards that standard where they do security policies across what's known as the conduit. And the conduit is the communication channel between zones. That could be the switches that already exist in your network. That could be, you know, refreshing switches with more security capabilities. Could be the routers or it could be firewalls. It's it's really up to you at the, the level of enforcement you want to do. Um, but they do call out, you know, networking infrastructure as being a, a completely capable of actually doing segmentation. And we see very similar language by NIST. So NIST does have a zero trust stock and they have multiple flavors of zero trust. And one of them is zero trust access using micro segmentation. And they essentially say the same thing that they say, put your put, uh, devices into different networking segments and then using the switching routers firewalls, act, they let them act as policy enforcement points between network segments. So if you can architect your network that your OT network is split into various different VLANs, various different subnets, and it is actually well architected from process A is subnet one, process B is subnet two. It does make it much, much easier in order to segment because they all have to come to a, some sort of routing point to get to each other. And at that point, you can put policy where it becomes re really difficult to do segmentation. And I've seen this happen is when they daisy chain the whole OT network, especially through the PLCs. And you're almost bypassing any bit of infrastructure you could possibly use to even do segmentation. That's where visibility starts to come in. What is actually, what's my OT look like? Do I need to refresh and rejig the network architecture a little bit and maybe help identify where I can actually do enforcement? But the biggest risk to your network is when it's completely flat. If, you're, if your OT network is one large OT network, you can go from point A to anywhere. You only need to breach one part of the network and suddenly you breach all of it. Visibility into that, Andrew. Yeah, so there is a dedicated ICS visibility tools on the market. Um, this is, I am speaking on behalf of Cisco, so I will bring up Cisco CyberVision. Uh, we do have our own uh, visibility tool here in Cisco dedicated for the OT network. So uh, there may be listeners who are familiar with StealthWatch or Secure Network Analytics. Um, no one's going to get out if you still call it StealthWatch. We still do it internally as it's well. It's still StealthWatch. It, it, well, I'm, yeah, I'm holding exactly. out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me if we if we revert back at some point while before I'm gone. Anyway, um, so you know, but that is IT level visibility. It's looking at NetFlow. It's looking at IP, uh, yeah, IP packets. What ports are you using? You know, are you doing any sort of you know data hoarding? Are you sending too much data? Whatever it is, it's looking at traffic analysis of IT packets. That works a little bit in the OT space. It, it does have its role in the network. But it's not going to tell you the, the details of what's happening between a PLC and an IO. It doesn't know what the HMI is doing. It doesn't know how the engineering workstations are interacting with the PLCs um, because it can't go any further than the IP headers. So what a, an industrial uh, visibility tool does, such as Cisco CyberVision, is does deep packet inspection of 
OT networks and OT protocols specifically? Are you using Ethernet IP between your Rockwell devices? Well, we'll tell you the details of what's happening within that connection. Are you using Profinet? Are you using DNP3? Are you using Siemens S7? Whatever it happens to be, um, we can do the inspection on that. We can tell you with granularity what is happening between those devices. So you get both the asset inventory, what is in my network, and I'm sure we all have stories on here where customers thought, you know what, I have more in my network than I first realized. Um, but also, what are those things doing to each other in the network? Um, especially if you've never introduced security before, the last thing you want to do is put in policies in place that blocks existing communication that ends up taking down your own network. You don't want to be the guy that presses, you know, deploy on a policy to then shut down your own plant because that's exactly what you're doing. Um, you're essentially just taking the role of the attacker in that stage. I successfully took down my own network by being too stringent with security policies and having no understanding what those policies were actually going to do once they press deploy. So you mentioned uh, cyber. You mentioned cyber vision. So would that be a team more IT oriented, or would that be run by a team more OT oriented? So initially. We would have, I wouldn't say we would have positioned for OT. There's there's definitely a role for an OT persona in CyberVision because we can show you the, the language that an OT engineer would be familiar with. Um, and we can show you some insights OT engineers would be familiar with. They would have a use for it. But it's more targeted to the IT teams who are responsible for the OT network. So whether that was, uh, uh, you know, OT engineers that got kind of retrained into the IT and they're, they're dedicated to doing IT in the OT, or whether it's IT um, personnel coming into the OT and, and helping figure out how to uh, secure, or uh, even, you know, doesn't even have to be security, it just has to be a better re-architecture of the OT for, you know, better bandwidth, better resiliency, et cetera. Um, they need the visibility so they can effectively do their job. So it's, it is an IT tool, but it's an IT tool that speaks the OT language. So Andrew, this be, we need to be a little bit careful because sometimes people think this thing's like a silver bullet, right? Uh, and I guess like OT networks, without, without going into the delving of the deep of it, some people, um, you know, some engineers, like it, it, I'd say in post-control land, it's very post-control developed sometimes. And like, you've got organic growth in there. Like you talked about monolithic flag networks. That's quite common um, in, the, in the industries. and what you'll find is there's a lot of like unmanaged devices in there, right? And unmanaged devices means unmanaged, like network equipment and potentially our favorite media converters. So um, CyberVision is not gonna pick up any of that, right? No, CyberVision uh, does two things. There's passive discovery, which means it'll listen to the network and understand you know, what devices are on that. So anything that communicates on a network that flows through a CyberVision sensor, uh, it will see. And if it has uh, a unique fingerprint, I'll call it, because it's not just an IP address, it's not just a MAC address, it's a combination of things that would say this is a device on my network, it is trying to give you an asset inventory. So if your networking devices have an IP address and those network devices are communicating to something, we will pick that up and we will say, hopefully, <laughs> uh, this is a network device. You know, it's, uh, if it's a managed network device, because a managed network device typically will come back to um, some sort of management tool and we'll see that interaction. If we don't see the traffic, uh, and just kind of for listeners on the call, CyberVision sits inside Cisco networking equipment, at least supported ones. It's a, it's a small IOX application, so 
If you're running Cisco in the infrastructure, you can typically run CyberVision inside the Cisco infrastructure. That's the best way to see the traffic is flowing through existing switches. Uh, but we can also do span-based. So if you wanted to do a networking tap, uh, you could send it to a CyberVision sensor that way too. But if you don't see the traffic, you can also do active discovery. And what active discovery does is sends hello messages down to the OT equipment. And this is why it's very important to have a, a ICS specific tool because you do not want to do a port scan in an OT network. Some devices will not uh, be too happy with that um, and maybe crash. And there's a lot of stories where people do not scans and that cause a network to crash. Uh, you want to send kind of discovery messages in the native protocols of the devices. So when factory talk comes online, which is a tool by Rockwell Automation, it sends discovery requests to the plant floor to look for other Rockwell devices that you can go and program, such as the PLCs. CyberVision does the same thing. It will send uh, discovery messages in the native protocols, the OT devices. So it'll send discovery protocols in Ethernet IP. Um, we'll send it in uh, Profinet. You know, there's a whole list of uh, protocols that we support. Not as expansive as a passive discovery because passive is, is easier to do. Uh, but there's a stack in there that will cover all of the all of the core protocols. But the primary purpose of it, asset discovery, just tell me what exists on there. I just want an asset inventory. And then I'm going to give you the vulnerabilities of those devices. You know, we know how old the firmware can be on these devices. We see what the firmware is while we're doing this discovery, and we can give you the vulnerabilities. But it's not going to be replacing your traditional automation engineers um, troubleshooting tool for when your production line isn't working as expected. I, I'm just maybe a question actually for for Jonathan. I mean, how often in your because I think you were you were much closer to the day-to-day -day operation of an industrial network. What like how often does do you see stuff that just sort of appears on the network that's like, what on earth is this, and how do I figure out who did this? And like like is this is this a concern of yours when you're when when you're advising your leadership? I think I think um, from like an industry standpoint, rather like. So like there's there's like different shades, but it all goes back to uh, visibility, like what Andrew said, right? So like in the industry, you'll find, and even in IT, do we really properly monitor? Do we really understand what our baseline network performance looks like and what's going on in the environment? Can anyone really confidently answer that question? Can can you leave? Like uh, I think it can be, you know, it's some some environments are a little bit more um, better set up for it, and some environments just aren't. So it's like a bit of a mixed bag. So things do turn up, right? And and um, it's been it's the ability to be able to track that down in a fast ma fast manner, so that you can do like a meantime restore as quickly as possible if it's a problem child in the environment, or sometimes it just sits there and you don't even know about it, right? Um, or sometimes you might get a flag through another system, right? So like you might use I don't know if you're doing a if you got a domain controller on there, you might be able to see it through there through a pull of an IP address or something like that. If it's uh, dynamic, which generally it isn't, so uh, yeah, look, it depends on the visibility, I and mean, like that is that can be wide ranging from no visibility to some visibility to a very like modern environment. So I would say, generally speaking, though, you know these OT environments, and I'm sure you'll say the same thing. They're they're not they're monolithic, right? So they're generally not managed. They're not monitored to that level, right? They're not like, hey, I can see exactly what what this devices over here. I know exactly what's built into this port over there. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Liam. I mean, you're in manufacturing, right? Or you've worked in manufacturing? Well, you know, yeah, I mean, definitely. And and I, I think from our 
from our customer base. I mean, especially we went into some, we went into a, a manufacturing plant to do a, a feed study, basically like a front end engineering design, just trying to get, trying to get an idea of what the inventory was that they had in, in, in this particular manufacturing process. And they said, oh, you know, we've got about 250, we think endpoints, you know, whether they're sensors or PLCs or, or IO type devices. And, you know, we, we went through and did a discovery using CyberVision and we came out with just under a thousand devices. And this was, this was, and you know, when we reported this back, it was like, oh, well, I guess that makes sense. And it's like, all of a sudden, you know, your, your assets have, have quadrupled just from what was sort of known by talking to everybody. And, and, and I mean, that's the thing is like, like if you don't even know you have it, how are you going to do something about it? Yeah. So, so generally speaking, like the press control teams that I've worked with in the past will know where everything is. The problem is the network engineers possibly aren't aware of that into that depth, right? So that's where CyberVision comes in quite useful to actually get that report to a kind of like a, a network engineering kind of level where you can actually yep. see what's going on within your environment to that level, right? Because remember, cross control is very software based. They, they write code and they monitor things from a different application like factory talk, which is very different to what, how we manage devices from a network engineering level. Well, something I want to add is and there are two examples I could want to cover. So one example was a customer, which I will not put a name behind, but pretty much what we realized suddenly we had a device on the OT network, which was sending large, large data streams. And it pretty much impacted all of production. And it took a while to figure out that somebody plugged in a video camera in the wrong network, which impacted production. So that was what I call a typical, but an unpleasant experience. Another challenge we have seen very often is a lot of the plants also have a small office space. So you have pretty much, you have the combination of OT network in the production area, you have the IT networks in the office space, and sometimes for ease of whatever use case, the OT network ends up in the office space because of control PCs, racks, and so on. It's unfortunately very common that the wrong devices are being plugged into the wrong network at that level and getting visibility very fast when that happens and where it happens is very crucial. 100%. Um, and actually, just to kind of qu uh, question Andrew a bit more around some of this, some of this um, zero trust model. So, we're, you know, we're, we're getting tool sets. We're going from like a kind of monolithic environment and trying to get through some sort of separation, um, you know, taking baby steps. But like what is the target state from that zero how far down the rabbit hole do we need to go right because like you know there's security and there's a, like performance right this there's a there's a balance so how do we figure how do we know that we've reached a, an i guess an enlightenment target state that you know um we know we've got a zero trust model that we've got as far as we can go without impeding security or performance or safety of the system it's a great question i actually don't know if there's an answer <laughs> security is one of those things like you're never really done. Uh, by the time you get something done, there's something new you got to deal with. Um, but I think you're right. I think it's having the balance of, you know, I'm secure enough. And I really don't like saying that word because I'm a security person. Uh, but there is a point that you got to stop and, uh, or at least focus on the next thing. So zero trust is a good example of that, of 
you know, you technically, yes, you could get to this uh, kind of Nirvana state where everything that you plug into has least privilege access to the network. I'm going to plug in a PLC and I'm going to profile this thing. And if it meets the certain posture level, I'm going to give it access. If it doesn't, you got to fix it and get it online, all that, the type of stuff we do in IT. But the way I look at it in the OT space is it's very difficult to treat devices on an individual basis. So if I was to, you know, walk down a manufacturing line, um, typically when you're doing the, the automation, there, there is sort of buffer zones that if, you know, something happens along the production line, the rest of the production line continues to work until you fill a buffer. And at that point, you might have to send signals back to shut down production, but it's never really one device that you can then isolate and say, okay, well, we can take this device offline. The rest of the production line works as normal. Normally every device has a role from A to B. And the way I look at it is. If you were to quarantine a single device because it doesn't meet a zero trust policy, you're probably going to take down a whole zone of your manufacturing network. There's no, there's no getting out of it. So what's the purpose of doing zero trust to an individual device level if you can't quarantine that individual device and let the rest of the device run as normal? That's why we do kind of a zone-based security model. And I have a lot of these conversations about micro-segmentation and zero trust and people looking for guidance of how to do it. And one of the funny things that kind of comes up is, you know, they're really interested in doing micro-segmentation. And I ask them, what are you doing for remote access? Just out of curiosity. Oh, we just have a VPN that goes into the cell and we just log in and we get access to everything that we need. And I find it funny that the, the largest attack vector, which is the remote access solution, is one of those that because it works, they just forget about it. And because they're told they need to do something in OT, they start doing like, okay, well, what's the, the buzzword of the year? Then we're, okay, zero trust, let's do that but they don't actually focus on the things that have the most impact from a security perspective. So a kind of long way of answering your question is, is focus on the things that will have the biggest impact from a security perspective, start there. And if you finish, and I don't think you ever will, then you can get as granular as you want to go start from there. But, um, yeah. So Andrew, like, I'm sorry, it was a bit of a loaded question, but like what I'm saying, so like you're right, everything you're saying is perfect, but I guess the thing is continuous improvement is really, really important. You can't just say, hey, I'm done. It, yeah. you, there's always something more that we have to consider, right? Yeah, agreed. Um, like devices are becoming yeah. smarter. We're looking, um, um, you know, Mark's here from AWS, so we're looking at OT in the cloud potentially, you know, the future is quite, it's not going to like go backwards. It's not, we're not going to de-evolve. We're we're going to kind of more align to traditional IT, traditional telecom spaces, right? Where we're going to have to pivot to take more data out of the environment or give access to things that we wouldn't traditionally have before. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so something maybe... I want. Please go, go ahead. Mark. So something I want to mention is talking to CISOs currently, one of the top priorities for next year is gaining visibility. And visibility is not only in the IT space, it's only in the OT space. But the challenge they have is, okay, in order to get visibility in OT space, I need to open up my OT space to some of the external scanning tools or at least get access. And I think that pretty much fits in what we were discussing so far. Uh, you need to involve your architecture to be a bit more open-minded, but you also need to make it secure. Like you need to have a central administration access, uh, preferably cloud or AWS based, or, and then try to get into all the systems. 
and that's a little bit where I think the future will be. Yeah, I'd probably word it a little bit differently and says I wouldn't rely on the AWS or cloud connections for visibility, but you you'll have other systems in the network that will rely on this cloud connectivity. Cloud isn't something that's it's going away. We should actually encourage these OT networks to to be cloud uh, connected. There's a lot of benefits to using the cloud. We need the visibility to make sure that you're doing it securely. We can put these preemptive controls in place to make sure things in the OT are only doing what they should when they do reach out to these clouds. Um, whether that's going to a kind of private data center uh, in, in your cloud space or whether that's reaching out to a vendor cloud, maybe for sending telemetry. And it, there'll be a combination of dedicated OT visibility that is for the OT space and stays contained within the OT space. But then it's correlating that with the IT visibility from when the moment you hit that kind of WAN network, because the OT tools don't know about WAN, they don't know about cloud, but the IT tools do. And we, They've been doing that for years and they, they do it really effectively uh, for your traditional IT applications. We just got to correlate those two things together so the IT teams can not only see what is in the OT, but when the, that data that leaves, what is it doing and how is it impacting um, the network? Andrew, maybe if if you could, like, we've talked about a lot of like broad, you know, sort of broad strategies or grand visions, right? But let, let's maybe like go and, and address somebody who might be working for uh, an organization that has like some manufacturing facility that doesn't have much, right? Maybe a very basic network, maybe some, you know, last gen switches or two gen switches ago, right? Like, what would you say, like, I mean, you talked about like, like quantifying the risk and doing what actually makes the most difference. Like, what would you say to go from like zero to one? Where would you start? And what would you give people the, something to think about? For sure, yeah, and we do actually have this concept of a, an industrial security journey in Cisco. So your your questions worded quite well for that. Uh, but um, we typically start. Uh, we say we start with the firewall. Well, what is the the boundary to the IT and the OT space? And if you know, again, that is still kind of a broad categorization. What I'd say is define the boundary of your critical network. What are the devices that are critical to the network that if they were to go down, it would cause operational downtime and must be kind of isolated if your larger network is to go wrong. And at the border of that, put in a security appliance. That could be a firewall, that could be an evolution to a kind of security cloud. Uh, it doesn't really matter what the technology is, but you have a defined border that I can cut off communication from a critical network to the rest of the network. If, if you just have one large flat IT, OT, everything is together network, it's very difficult to isolate attacks because your IT network is constantly getting attacked. If something gets leaked, I just want to cut off the OT for a second. So that would be, be step one. It's just have a kind of severance point that if my network was hacked, I can run headless, if you will, in the OT space. I worked in the connected car industry for a while. And when we first got into connected car, it was in-vehicle networking. So um, modern cars actually have Ethernet networks in them. There's switches inside cars, funnily enough. Um, and one of the, I'd say, learnings that we had early on is we were proposing to put software in the head unit of a vehicle. We kind of found out, because we were new to the space, that a car should be able to run without your infotainment system, funnily enough. Uh, you shouldn't be able to lose the ability to drive your car because the, your infotainment system is down. But that's where all the compute is. So we're thinking, let's put software where the compute is. But they're saying, well, you might not have access to that software. OT systems are the same. Anything that's critical, below your boundary, anything non-critical, above the boundary. Then, 
and we've been harping on about visibility for quite a while now, but uh, you want visibility across both OT and IT, because if something happens in your IT, I need to know the cutoff connection to the OT network. And I need visibility in the OT network, because if something goes wrong in OT, I need to be able to fix it extremely quickly. Uh, sometimes uh, we kind of overestimate how effective ransomware and malware can be, because uh, we see the stories in the news that this plant was shut down and you know wasn't operational for two weeks. But what you don't see until they release how it happened is typically your initial access point happened weeks, maybe even months prior to the actual attack happening. And if you could see some early indicators of compromise, that might be something you could actually do to stop that from ever happening. So um, that's step two, and if I'm going too fast, no, 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 no. Any point. <laughs> but, 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 but I think, I mean, you know, one of the takeaways is it's not like, I mean, what you're not saying is, oh, you need a whole new network and it has to have a Cisco badge on it, right? Or a Cisco no. logo on it. I mean, you, you, you don't have to redesign all of your processes. You don't have to, right? Like you, anybody can achieve results by, I mean, for instance, people can deploy CyberVision with a one network tap, right? Just a, just a single egress point, or I'm sorry, ingestion point to see your traffic and you get all the benefits of being able to get that inventory. You may not have it down to that like most you know, detailed resolution, but to start, that'll at least give you a, give you something to do. There is exactly. a place to start, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, in an ideal so, world, you've got visibility everywhere, but yeah, you only need to start with one point in network. So everything you said is exactly correct, yeah. I, I, yeah, you've touched on it as well, but I just want to like reiterate. So, you know, this is, it sounds expensive. Security sounds expensive and generally can be, right? Depending how far you want to go down the rabbit hole. But the value add here is like, you know, you're safeguarding your safety system, your production systems from potential outages caused by cyber attack or even misconfiguration unintentionally, right? It, um, it, would that be your view in it or is there more to that value add as well? Uh, yeah, this misconfiguration is actually uh, funny because people forget about that one a lot. The, the human element, whether it's both from a social engineering perspective or just making mistake perspective, uh, is often uh, overlooked um, for sure. Yeah, uh, from a, but just even just to, to go back to the, the visibility, the because we we touched on it a little bit about there's a separate team between IT and an OT. And a lot of times the process engineers, they're the ones that's going to make the mistakes um, of what's happening. But from an IT perspective of um, what can they do to help in this situation? We worked with a customer before that they had step one of this journey done. They put in a firewall they, and, and they went a little bit further with that firewall is they actually used the firewall to talk about the, the macro segmentation, Jonathan, that you mentioned about how we've segmented the network into, into multiple zones all of my subnets come back to a central point and we're going to put a firewall at this central point. And at that point, we're going to do enforcement. And they thought they were, they were done at that point. You know, the whole, it's good enough. If, if we need something in the future, we'll, we'll get to it. Well, they've done a cybersecurity audit and these are happening more and more because of uh, cyber insurance and they failed the audit. And the IT team was like, well, how did we fail the audit? And it turns out that the way the network the, the network was happening below the firewall because the only place they got visibility was through the firewall is they were just daisy chaining the OT network underneath it. So the firewall that was actually never even being used to go from segment one to segment two, they were just bypassing all of the IT tools and the production lines were just communicating because they were all talking to each other and connected directly to each other. Um, and while we can recommend these steps and we can recommend the journey, sometimes it's not just as easy as just putting one appliance in there and saying we're done. Uh, sometimes we need to send IT people and actually get them 
physically on board so they can physically see the connections and make sure that you know what ot says is happening is actually happening because yeah sometimes they don't those to what you say and what's actually in reality doesn't always align i think i deviated from the question a little bit but yeah, it reminded me of this story yeah that's good the, the one thing that I would tell our listeners is, especially if they've not seen CyberVision, is to either talk to their you know, Cisco rep or their partner rep, uh, or if they have dCloud access, there is a full CyberVision instant demo available on dCloud, so dcloud.cisco.com, and just type in CyberVision, and then there's a couple for instant demos where you can go through, and there are manufacturing plants or manufacturing processes that are actually modeled in CyberVision. So you can go see everything that you would get as far as what the platform can can afford as, as uh, afford an organization as far as like that visibility, risk scores, the topology, the actual mapping, um, any, anything that, um, you know, anything, Andrew, that you would you would you know, say like are, are kind of eye openers for people when they actually see it. I mean, yeah, and it's a great a platform. It is, and there's a difference between seeing it uh, in a dCloud instance, which is great to see the capabilities. Yep. But the point you brought up about you use CyberVision to see how many assets are there, and you say, okay, there's almost a thousand. They're like, oh, okay, well, we, we didn't realize that, but sure. I think there's been some bigger eye openings when they say, well, uh, our OT network is air gapped, so we're we're secure in that way, and then we show all of the public IP addresses the device is communicating with, and we have to get them to explain and why is those a thousand devices also communicating outside of your network and that's the one they don't know. Um, it, it gets a bit more for worrisome. So there's always something that comes up. Uh, another example was they had a production line that they thought they turned off and suddenly it was still trying to reach out to all of the different uh, data center services and there was leaking information and taking up bandwidth that shouldn't have been doing and causing jitter across the, the rest of the, the network. And so seeing things are active that should never have been active and doesn't always have to be a security reason why visibility is important. Sometimes it is just creating better network design or uh, cleaning up your network uh, configs. So. so Andrew, you mentioned uh, better network design. One of my one of my great things and pillars to to try drive towards having a good solid design that you can use and deploy over time through maintenance windows, et cetera, et cetera, because a lot of the operation twenty four seven. Um, so there's a Cisco validated design that talks about a lot of what we just talked about today. So macro segregation, uh, micro segregation. Uh, do you want to mention that? Uh, yeah, for sure. So um, it is the design guide that I wrote. So thanks for the plug. Uh, but it, it does build on this, uh, you know, four step journey that we'll call it going from an ITOT boundary, the visibility, the segmentation then integrating actually into your uh, security operations center and how you can integrate the OT visibility into the IT visibility. But within segmentation itself, there is actually a, a journey to go from no segmentation to segmentation. And you mentioned that kind of macro segmentation, micro segmentation. And there's also kind of going referring back to the question, what if I don't have any Cisco in my network? Um, you just try and um, take baby steps towards it. So if you have one large OT network, uh, try and split it up into, you know, three or four different segments. You know, can you do it on a, on a per, let's say, you know, quite a big manufacturing site. Can you do it on a per, per site basis? Maybe your all four sites that you have uh, separated and within this geo are all connected. Can you start breaking them out into four different sites? Then within the sites, can I break down the production line into smaller zones? It's really up to you to identify where you can start. If your network is well um, architected already and you've you have a good subnet structure use that 
use the existing VLANs that you already have, um, create policy between those VLANs, make sure those policies are well defined, um, and then kind of go on beyond that if you want to do uh, the micro segmentation, which is kind of inter VLAN segmentation. Use your visibility to understand uh, the relationships between your devices. Uh, that'll kind of give you some candidates of where, not only where you can do segmentation, but what you can actually segment. Uh, can I limit that these two devices from only communicating over the ports that they, they need to communicate? Uh, we look at things like uh, WannaCry as an example that uh, uses an SMB vulnerability. If you don't need SMB in your environment, just block all SMB. Just blanket block, like that port just cannot be used in this environment. You don't need to worry about it. You can't you can't exploit the vulnerability. So there's there's some things we can take from a from our IT learnings in terms of these are the ports that are disabled network wide. Just disable them on the IT and the OT if you're not using them. It's not turning off services. So sometimes segmentation doesn't even have to be done in the network. Like if you've got a PLC and there's vulnerabilities in the web server, just turn the web server off. You're probably not using it anyway. Um, we do the same thing with printers. There's, there's a lot of times there's web servers in these printers. We just disable it. We don't we don't worry about it. Um, we're not using it. So there's a lot of, and I could probably go all day with different IT examples, but a lot of learnings from the IT side that just those directly apply to the OT. The big difference is you just got to start smaller. You can't just put every change in and one blanket go. Um, use your visibility. Make sure you can turn off the service. Turn off the service. And then, yeah, start macro. Work your way over time. And when we say over time, it could be five years. It doesn't have to be, you know, this month I do macro and the next month is micro. Like, it might just be I'm going to do macro segmentation for the next year. And when I get my next maintenance window, I'll reevaluate and kind of go a little bit further, a little bit further. Uh, just those small steps towards it is better than nothing. All right. Well, I feel like we covered a lot in today's episode. To our listeners, if you want to continue your learning on today's topic, you can check out the resources provided in the show notes below. And like I said earlier, the Cisco Champion 2024 application is officially open for submissions. Now is the perfect time to showcase your passion for technology and become a part of an elite group. A link to the application will be provided in the show notes below. And this is your weekly reminder. You can subscribe to Cisco Champion Radio on your favorite streaming platform and receive alerts on our latest releases. So wherever you're listening to us, make sure you click on that subscribe or follow button now. Thank you for listening in and see you again next time.